Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we will be looking at a text for the fourth week of the season of creation, a time to renew our relationship with our creator and all of creation through celebration, conversation, and commitment. For this episode, I am joined by two guests, Dr. Mark Biddle and Reverend Dr. Garrett Andrew. Mark is the Dean of Faculty of Sophia Seminary, a reimagined vision for theological education, and a Hebrew scholar who has written seven books and over 40 articles on the Hebrew scripture. Garrett is the pastor of Napomo Community Presbyterian Church in Central California, an award-winning preacher and co-author of Peace Be With You, Tools and Thoughts to Guide You from Anxiety to Serenity. Join us now as we explore the creation justice themes of Exodus 15. Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound, cause together we're all bound. Within these pages, there's always new life to be found. Our text for today is Exodus 15, uh, verses 1 through 11, and then 20 through 21. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? Then jumping down to verse 20. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So, uh, Mark, I think I'm going to start with you. I was afraid. Um, <laughs> uh, where is creation in this passage? Um, creation is is basically the sea and the wind uh, who do God's bidding uh, in this passage. Um, this is. Uh, Speaking as a Hebrew Bible specialist, this uh, text has points of contact with what is referred to as the chaos tradition. Mm. Um, it, it could be, a, it could could almost be a, in the Psalter, uh, Psalm 18, 29, 89, 74, and 104 in particular, uh, have elements of this God's control over the sea, uh, over the deep which in the ancient Near East was uh, associated with chaos, by the way. Mm. So uh, the fact that 
And the Bible celebrates several places the fact that God is able to set boundaries for the sea, for the deep, keep it under control. Um, and uh, in a couple of times, anyway, God sort of removes those limitations during the flood, for example. And here, uh, God uses that, uh, the, the sea, as an instrument of, well, destruction, I'm sorry to say. Um, that that's that's where nature is, where creation is in this uh, in this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love that idea of of chaos coming into the conversation of uh, thinking of this in 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 those terms along with those other psalms is kind of a beautiful juxtaposition. Uh, Garrett, what are your what other thoughts might do you have on where creation is in this passage? I mean, as Mark said, most obviously, you have the the sea here in the context, and 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 as we take the song of Moses and the song of Miriam, um, uh, we as most scholars let us know, the song of Miriam is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, of parts of the the Hebrew tradition, and the song of Moses is is about as old, and um, and as it's playing with the imagery of the sea in this this sense of freedom that is uh that the hebrews received by crossing the the red sea like this and it being split and it does go back to the chaos idea of the origins of the sea and and even in the genesis narrative of the the creation story in genesis 1 the separation of the waters that allows for the creation to take place is also taking place in this story um, mm -hmm. with the separation mm -hmm. of the Red Sea. So there's waters being separated to free people as there's waters being separated to uh, create. Um, and, uh, and and so you, you have this sense, again, that creation is at the disposal, not just of God in the midst of creation, but the oldest stories in the whole of Scripture, how God using the pieces of creation to continue uh, creating to continue bringing a way out of no way to continue liberating to continue uh, helping people discover who they are and in the midst of this the sea is also used in a destructive way so there's a creative possibility in it with creation and there's the destructive part in creation as the the empire uh, uh the pharaoh um is 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 being consumed by the sea in the midst of all of this. And then the praise of the, of, of the God of the universe who utilizes these pieces of creation to do God's work is, uh, is, is reemphasizing too all these ways that creation is used to do what God does. Um, so it's, it, it, in terms of things, if you're going to look for creation in here, I, I think there's, it's, it's really quite wonderful that way. And maybe as I as I exist in California and I and I look at what Hurricane Hillary might do to uh, places uh, mm. near and dear to me, um, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to remember uh, in this song, the uh, destructive forces of nature mm. and what they might do to uh, empire that isn't paying attention to the will of God. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well said. Um, there's a there's a piece of creation. Uh, that neither of you touched on, and I, I want to just uh, bring attention to it for just a moment, and and it's it's a it's especially um, 
uh, present in my mind because I am, uh, as we're recording, I'm currently at Ring Lake Ranch in Wyoming and had my very first experience this week of riding a horse. Mm. And uh, horses are a part of this story. And I, and I mm. want to I want to take this more into our 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 second question. But um, horses are um, a part of creation and they are a part of creation that is sort of brought into the messiness of the human drama that is going on. And, um, and in some ways the horses represent a part of creation that is suffering because of the reach of empire and suffering because of the messiness of domination. And in fact, because of the misunderstanding of the call in Genesis one for us to have dominion over the earth, the horses are part of creation that suffer in the midst of, of this passage and in the midst of this context. So I guess it's horses are just kind of fresh on my mind. <laughs> this week but I, I wanted to point out that part of creation as well yeah Derek can I add something to that uh, please for, when we think of horses uh, in our culture uh, we think of them as um, hobby animals I suppose or farm mm -hmm. animals mm -hmm. you plow with them or you ride them for fun mm -hmm. uh, um, there's no evidence in the engineer east that horses were used as draft animals in that way um mm. Um, they were they were weapons of war uh, mm. in domesticated usage almost exclusively. Wow! Um, and so I, I would extend what you say have just said to say that they not only are suffering but they've been co-opted mm -hmm. by uh, to military use rather than any other um, more more passive more peaceful uses and and and. It's it just that's an interesting observation. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going out on a limb here, relying on my general memory, but I don't think there's a mention of horses in the Hebrew Bible in any context other than military. Mm. I, I I know I can't think of one. Um, that's that's a really I mean that's that's fast again, kind of in the context that I've been this week of horses being used in very peaceful ways. And yeah, the, the, the sort of modern context of them as these peaceful uh, pastoral creatures, the idea of them being co-opted is such a powerful um, idea that we have co-opted this um, beautiful, powerful creature um, and, and decided that they are in fact weapons of war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is um, that is um, that's great, please. guys. And I, I totally mean to interrupt because, like, I, <laughs> I, I didn't think much of the horses. Maybe I, I from last time, Avery with his talk of husbandry and stuff. I was waiting for something like that. So thank you. Um, and uh, it reminded me, though, as you guys were talking about that, there's a there's a rabbinical story in the Midrash somewhere, and I, I don't know where or have read it in a very long time. Um, where uh, in in heaven, if you will. Uh, as the as the Red Sea swallows the the Egyptian army, um, the, the angels start rejoicing, and and God silences them and and tells them to be quiet. Like, do you realize what I've just done to free these yeah. people? 
I yeah. am. Uh, I, I have I have taken out things that I've created, um, and this is not mm. worthy of celebration. And uh, and just the ways again that we use things, and uh, in, in in the midst of this celebration hymn, if you will, that is talking about the destruction that God brought upon upon things using creation to do that the recognition of the horses and even the recognition of of those that died who were a part of the machinery of empire uh, that is in the rabbinical stories that suggest that god has compassion on them too and that we need to be careful how we celebrate as a as kind of a beautiful idea to me as we go through this passage uh, it brings to mind it's not something i would have thought we would introduce into this conversation, but it brings to mind the ending of the book of Jonah, uh, where God mm. reprimands Jonah for his attitude. And since mm. you feel the way you feel about things, and I'm not supposed to have compassion on this city with hundreds of thousands of people. And besides, and the book ends with this statement, and besides that, many cows. And I, that's mm. just, mm-hmm. just wonderful. Mm. In my mind. Great. Great, great connection points. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for bringing Jonah into that. I, actually, that I, I'm I'm so glad that you you made that connection for us. So let's let's move on to our second question. Where is God? And maybe this one's a little bit more complicated for us in light of the things that we've said. But where is God calling us to interact with creation in this passage? Mm-hmm. The, the first thing that we see in this, though, is is this praise. This this like in response to the awe inspiring display of God's power over the sea and creation, um, the people are called to recognize and honor God's sovereignty over the natural world, and and I think thereby it prompts us to interact with creation in ways that acknowledge its beauty, its significance, and its fragility. Especially as we again bring in the things like the horses in the midst of that. And, and 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 thereby, even as we as we speak of that, we can talk of how uh, the, the, I mean everything that's been said, and I'm not going to rehash it with that. But how then in that song where they're recognizing that that our own kind of interaction might involve cultivating again a, a sense of, of stewardship of these things, where we care for and responsibly manage the earth's resources. I mean, it's is it an easy go to? No. Uh, yes. Yes, it is actually, <laughs> and uh, and and again, just as the as God parted the sea to make path for the Israelites, we are called to work toward creating paths of sustainability, justice, and harmony in our interactions with the environment that allow us to leave the places of empire behind that have caused things that nowadays, like I mean, Maui's on fire. Um, I don't know what's about to happen to the southern part of my home state, my hometown. Um, the, the sea in, 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 in Florida is boiling. Like we have done things as, as, as a place of empires, a place of trying to grab onto as much as we can in, in subjugating the world. That it's it's one of those moments of time. So how do we cross a sea into a new kind of freedom whereby we are no longer participating in that? And thereby it becomes our own interaction with creation. Because to some degree, uh, creation is the one that needs to be freed. Mm. Mm. I, I, I would approach it. Uh, I, I thank you for that. Um, but I, I would also approach it from a slightly different direction. Um, I have to. Well, I read this so- song in the context of everything that precedes it in the Exodus story, and 
Um, I'm particularly drawn to the statement. I don't remember if it's in 1 to 11 or if it's just after the part that I always wonder why lectionary um, <laughs> leave out the, some the, of the best parts. One of the greatest, the one of the greatest mysteries. <laughs> yeah. Why stop where they stop? Anyway, at one point, uh, God, God, it's, it's stated so that this has all been so that people could recognize that God is the one God or, or the strongest God or something like that. And you can read the whole um, struggle between Moses and Pharaoh and all those plagues, which, by the way, all involved nature, creation. Um, mm -hmm. You can read that as um, um, you have to think about the Egyptian Pharaoh thinking of himself and his whole, you know, the ideology, royal ideology was that he was God incarnate, a God incarnate. And you can read that whole thing as a struggle for um, establishing the identity of the of, of who is the God in charge. And um, I, I think of uh, that in terms of uh, the whole dominion thing and arrogance and all that kind of stuff. It, Pharaoh's arrogance got all these people killed. You, know, you could say it that way. And uh, I think our arrogance, um, and with respect to a lot of things, but especially creation nowadays, is really problematic. Mm. Uh, needs to be done. And I would add, but I would add quickly one other thing because I'm always worried about uh, this kind of thing. And and then that is, I would not go quickly uh, from what we what we have in this text to any kind of claim that any disaster that ever happens anywhere in the world is God's doing in the same way that this was according to the text. I, uh, I don't have that sort of insight into what God's up, uh, up to in the world, but I doubt if he sends fires on to, to Maui, um, to punish mm. people. Um, mm. I just don't, I just can't, I, I wouldn't want anyone to use this text and as license to do that kind of interpretation. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that's so important. Um, I think I think there's, and I think kind of synthesizing what you've both said, um, there is a place here where our interaction with creation um, is awe. It's it's praise. It's wonder. It's it's awe at the power and the awesomeness of of the of the might of creation. But then there's also a um, a humbling aspect of this, in which we have to, you know, we we so often want to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, when right. so often we're so often we're more we're more closely connected to the folks who are on the side of empire, but just um, by our social location. And, yeah. and we are more likely to be the ones who are putting creation in harm's way. Yes. And so there is a, there is a, a, a humility that is required of, of us needing to, um, as creation has been a vehicle for, for the liberation of humanity in this space, that there is a call here for humanity to be the vehicle of creation's liberation. And, Very well. and I, I think that's, that's, um, that's a lot of what I hear in this passage is that uh, this, this is, this is a, 
and again, Mark, I, I, I think it's, it's really, as you've said, it's really tricky when we start assigning God's will to things mm. that are happening in, in, in creation, when we start mm. assigning God's will to fire and flood, that's really tricky, messy mm. territory. Mm. Um, but we can, we can see the devastation of things like horses and say, yeah, that's our responsibility. Mm. And that's something that, that we can be reflective on in, in our own lives and our own ways of being. Well, and if we talk of like the the arrogance of uh, uh, Pharaoh, for instance, like that, and 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 if you're going to bring that up, and you should, uh, you have to always kind of play with the notion of God hardening Pharaoh's heart over and over again in the midst of that. And uh, not that I want to do any of that. I mean, you can just play with the the arrogance, but in in even again with the way that <laughs> the, the the soldiers are. Uh, are, are wiped out the horses are wiped out and and yeah i'm not taking anything and in, in saying this is like god's will um but it, first with regards to awe i mean let's remember that the the old english root for the word awe literally meant fear and there's a reason mm-hmm. that awe is the root of awesome and awful mm-hmm. like it creates a sense of things but it's terrifying and mm-hmm. As we talk of those who are harmed on the side of like the empire in the midst of this, as we're going to maybe look at ourselves as the empire, because we should, um, here, this moment, we are the Egyptians, yes. Um, and then you think of something like, okay, what's going on with the natural disasters we see right now? In Maui, for instance, the people who are most harmed by it are the people who are most impoverished. I and know. And, and, and that's what will happen, too, when floods hit Southern California, and it's the people who don't have the resources to get to better safety, the people who are homeless, uh, the, the animals that are out there who will go through God knows what. The poor people always suffer the most. And and that's still what we see in the midst of this thing, even though you have these these Israelites, these these Hebrew people who are praising God for this awe, there has to be an element of fear in the midst of all of that. And then by the recognition of those who are suffering the most back in Egypt are those who have literally no power themselves, but are forced into it by the powers and uh, as they exist and, and get to mourn the most. And in that same kind of way, there's many powers in our society that exist that will not be harmed by many of these things, especially as we have billionaires trying to shoot themselves into space, while mm-hmm. while those who have the least um, in our society are being disproportionately affected, affected the most harmfully. Sounds. Yeah, I want to pick up on two things you said. I don't know. I don't know that they're related to one another, but I, I just want to point them out on. One is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, I've forgotten how many times that expressed that reference to Pharaoh's heart hardening appears in this Exodus story. But I do know um, because I wrote about it some years ago that uh, for about the first half of the sequence, uh, the verbs are are um, at, well. In the first half of the sequence, it says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And God only joins hmm. in um, about halfway through or a little bit past halfway through, which I think is significant uh, of um, 
God saying, okay, I'm, you know, I've given you all these opportunities and you won't take them. Um, if you want it that way, I'll help you harden your heart. And, and I think mm. there's, there's, there's something to think about there, um, about whether or not in, in terms of repentance or however you'd like to put it, if there doesn't come a sort of appointed no return. But anyway, the second thing I'd like to point, uh, echo you on and point out uh, on a little bit grander scale is I've always been struck. Um, my Most of my work has been in the prophetic literature. Um, I've always been struck by the fact that all of the difficulties Israel had with Assyria and Judah had with Babylon, for example, resulted in a sort of a historical analysis, not from the religious practices of the people, but the stupid political decisions of the kings. Yeah. Uh, um, I I don't know, you know, if, you, if you'd been able to do a Gallup poll of Judah, Judeans in Jeremiah's day, I think they probably would have said, we don't want to get messed up with Babylon. Let's, let's, let's do the smart thing, whatever that is. Don't defy them for heaven's sakes. They're big and powerful, mm. but that's not mm. how the Kings uh, approach these things. And um, I, I think that, that from, I see that almost everywhere I look in history, I see it uh, everywhere I look today. And that is um, people who will be affected by decisions um, on the international or the, environmental or the business economic scale uh, aren't the ones who make the decisions. We, we just end up yeah. paying the price. Uh, and that, I'm, you know, you could, you could think of it in terms of, um, you know, I ain't no Senator's son. Uh, you could think of it in terms of the old guys <laughs> in DC who decide to send somebody to war or sending, you know, mm. the 18 and 19 year old conscripts. And that's just, that's just um, that's problematic to me. Um, very problematic. Yeah. Well, and and boy, as we're having this conversation, I am I am thinking about something that I have never thought about in this text before. Um, Pharaoh is fine at the end of this story. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, they're these young men who have been who who's been conscripted into war. And again, if we think about who's who's affected by the decisions of the powerful, um, you know, I just I just read something this morning that um, you know it's it's ten percent of of the, uh, the the of the United States population that is producing 40% of of the the emissions that are causing our planet to warm oh. and oh. and and again this is the whole idea that the the powerful routinely make decisions for which the vulnerable suffer and we don't often think of you know in 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 Miriam's song you know while we recognize her joy at her liberation it's the horse and the rider that go uh -huh. into the sea, the uh -huh. two that have been conscripted by the powerful to do uh -huh. the to be the hand of of the pharaoh, uh -huh. and not pharaoh who is drowning uh -huh. in the sea, and that is so typical of what we see in the way uh -huh. the world works, and it's uh -huh. it's it, it's over and over and over again. So thank you both for. Uh, I mean, wow, that's a that is. That's kind of a brand new lens through which I'm seeing the scripture. And I want to, I want to jump into our third question here. Um, 
with all of the and, and with all of these things in mind, I actually think it makes it maybe more poignant for us to answer this question. Where is there a call to action to the church um, in light of the ways that we have looked at this passage? I would say it quite simply, and that is that do not um, be com- the church should find ways not to be complicit in mm. the arrogance. Uh, that we've talked about here. Um, mm. uh, and I would add another thing. Uh, see a lot, see, well, philosophically, I guess, uh, one of the uh, things involved in this text, which is just taken for granted by the ancient and which we have difficulty with these days, is this whole question of God's involvement in history or in you know, ongoing involvement in creation, period. We 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 even even I and probably you have grown up and reared up in a worldview which is so materialistic, almost exclusively materialistic, mm. as to as to exclude the possibility of God's uh, involvement in human history and and in, with individual humans and and in and in the creation in an ongoing sense, and I, I think we need new eyes there. Uh, Mm. I'm not talking about some kind of wacko spirituality, uh, spiritually, spiritualism, <laughs> spiritual warfare kind of thing. But I am talking about looking at, well, um, here to use the word awe, looking at the very trees outside my window here with a little more respect and awe for what, what God has done mm. in creating this world and sustaining it. Mm-hmm. I and I want to echo that. I I, I love the way, that Mark, you talked about that. And um, I think if we were to, I mean, first and foremost, as I just look at again a, a song and and ponder it being some of the oldest of scripture, and the oldest of scripture are people watching creation do mighty acts and praise their God, even though in the midst of praising their God, it is that awe that is both full of wonder and full of fear and and almost cop, call people to that same kind of awe the israelite song reflects their gratitude and in awe and recognition of god's mighty acts and similarly the church is called to acknowledge and celebrate god's ongoing work in creation and to do that celebration we need some semblance of awe and and i in in mark's right the materialism that has saturated western society is 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 part of the arrogance that is that we 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 think we can figure out everything. Um, maybe if we uh, we we pour stuff into the sky to help block the sun's rays, then maybe we'll have less warming. And that's our plan instead of trying to figure out how to change the way we do things. Um, because it's it's to us, it's all just a, a material thing. Where this now becomes a question of 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 how is our spirituality changing us? Are we going to praise God's mighty acts and recognize the awe of creation? Or are we still going to try to figure out ways to dominate it? Because we have problems with that word, like have dominion, which again, has more of a sense of, of a stewardship. How are we caring for something while the, the, while the master is away? And, 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 and we're not. We're, we're pretending that we are the master. Uh, I, I love, uh, Mark, thank you so much, too, for I, I didn't know that about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And so that helps me tremendously. And it's such a brilliant way with which to take this text then. 
the ways that we harden our own heart to, toward how we believe that we have materialistic domination over things and then use that belief, especially the rich and the powerful. And so the people in the church now are called to participate in a different worldview, one that leads for this kind of call and awe and wonder, recognize God's ongoing work and creation. And and then if you want to move it this far in, in a sermon, because sometimes I think when, you, when you're dealing with people on a, on a weekly basis, you, you can give them something. But if you start to give them even more afterward, it, it might be something you want to do like a couple of weeks on even. But that stops being a lectionary focused piece, I recognize. Um, but it, it does get to lead to a sense of environmental advocacy, promoting awareness of the environmental issues. Just And, and you do, you can do that in the sermon. The recognition of how the vulnerable are, are affected so much worse than the people who are strong. And even like your piece of the 10% with 40% of the world's emissions, the ways in which uh, uh, they, they use their, their power and influence and money in Washington to get whatever the heck they want so that we stop doing things. If we just maybe give people some of this awareness, it begins to plant the seeds of, of possibility for, for change. Um, you know, of how we can engage in sustainable practices instead of continuing to like make sure that the, the conscripts and the horses are drowning the sea, which is the last line of the of the whole passage uh, for those kind of pieces. And so it, it again, it becomes a, a prophetic piece as, as the church having to stand as a prophetic voice, recognizing that this passage, uh, going back again, I like the connection with Genesis 1 myself. If I were to preach this, I would definitely use the Genesis 1 piece as well to talk about the separations of the waters, just to kind of make that connection of the overarching theme of the whole of the Old Testament that is going on in this midst. And then the prophetic voice that exists in both Testaments, which are always challenging societal norms that harm all sorts of things. And in this case, the environment and advocating for responsible and just policies, especially if we're going to maybe even... I, I love the play of the uh, of the, the the conscripts and the horses, um, and in the recognition thereby that by doing that too, we might even move into Matthew twenty five, where the least of these gets to be uh, uh, those that we have to start to function with to recognize because who's being harmed by all these things that are going on now as we stand in awe before something that we cannot control and yet we have unleashed. Mm. Huh. Mm -hmm. um, my, the way my mind works uh, is that one th way leads on to way. I, one thing makes me think of another thing. and uh, I, I want to call attention to a couple of uh, passages, a couple of ideas. Um, one is, um, it has to do with this arrogance and materialism. Uh, I mean, Martin Buber's book, I and Thou, uh, talks about different ways of knowing and one way of knowing is by analyzing and the kind of the scientific way of doing things. But he points out that in that, um, the subject who, who is knowing treats the one known as an object and usually ends up destroying it. A geologist will take a rock and pound it to pieces in order to analyze it chemically. It doesn't do the rock any good. <laughs> you know, um, The rock doesn't participate in that relationship. Uh, but the other kind of knowing, the I-thou, is between two subjects, and it, it is not analysis. You don't, I know my wife, not because I take her apart, 
but because she reveals herself to me. And I reveal mm -hmm. myself to her mm -hmm. kind of reciprocally. Um, I wish mm -hmm. we could be more eyes out toward the world mm -hmm. uh, than we are I it. And that's the uh, that's the relationship Buber talked about. The other thing that came to my mind was the kind of the ending of the book of Job when God appears to Job in the whirlwind. Um, and I always talk about that with students is, is uh, and make a little play on the name of the uh, a, tem, a hymn title, or a, I don't know if it's a hymn or not. It's a church title. There's a wild, there's a wideness in God's mercy. I, I just say there's a wildness in God's mercy. Um, God doesn't answer any, <laughs> doesn't answer any of Job's questions, uh, but he points out, just points out, the, have you considered the behemoth and Leviathan? Mm -hmm. And and uh, I made them too, and uh, it's kind of I always think of William Blake's Songs of Innocence Experience, the poem "Little Lamb Who Made Thee," in the Songs of Innocence are paired is paired with the "Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright" poem in the Songs of Experience, mm -hmm. uh, as if Blake wanted to remind us that yes, God created lambs and puppy dogs and kittens. But God created boa constrictors and tigers and all of that too. It's the the world is um, not as manageable or controllable as modern society has tried to convince mm. us. That it's, yeah. I, I, God will God will not be managed. <laughs> Amen. I, I think that's a that's a beautiful way to wrap up this conversation. Um, Mark Garrett, thank you both for your insights on this on this passage. Uh, when when we uh, when we first got on, Mark Mark was saying, you know, uh, I don't I don't know that there's anything really green in this passage <laughs> at all. Um, and and yet, I think the ways that we we see ourselves re relating to creation, um, both for good and for ill, uh, in some ways, really come across in this passage in some some great and powerful ways that you both have uh, helped make clear. So thank you uh, for your insights and thank you for your time and and, and effort in, in, in wrestling with this passage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Green Lake Sharing Podcast. This episode was recorded at Ring Lake Ranch in New Voice, Wyoming learn more about them and their amazing programming, you can go to www.ringlake.org. This episode was produced by Derek Weston, and the music was provided by Christian MacGyver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard And the enduring word Calls us to care for our world As we share the love that can set creation free Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace, and harmony. Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound. Cause together we're all bound. Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace, and harmony.
within these pages There's always new life to be found 